You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, found on page 835 in your pew Bible. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of God for the people of God. So Robin has discovered a show on Netflix um, where people need somebody to come in and clean out their house, and a lady has them make a big pile of all their stuff, and she says, Hold it. If it sparks joy, keep it, and if it doesn't, get rid of it. That seems like interesting advice to me. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting show to watch, but um, I, have, I have a friend who said that if she was to just keep what sparked joy, she'd be on the side of the road with a dog and a coffee maker. <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about her son. <laughs> And I mean, there, there is some truth that I, I really delight in certain records and, you know, a nice guitar brings joy. But at the same time, I, I you know, a piece of clothing that is much joy uh, in my closet, neatly folded, is not bringing a lot of joy in the laundry room. You know, context matters, situations change. And I, I kind of wonder if that does kind of lead us to think about not only things in our life, but people in our life. But anyway, I, I, I get the sense because it's pretty smart because we want joy. And, and joy is a good measure to look and see, you know, is something bringing us joy? Uh, we're, we're made for joy. Our, our whole goal is to fulfill that need for joy and to find what our heart is longing for and it's we really each one of us have a desire and a longing for joy that is implanted there by God that's what we were made for and you know that that is who we are about and in a very real way 
what being a believer is, what, what being a Christian, what following Christ is, is that we are following him so that we will be happy, we'll be blessed, we will find joy. And I think a lot of people kind of have the idea um, that they, they would agree with um, um, this, this quote Minkin, this guy said about Puritanism, which he said is the haunting suspicion that somewhere, someone is happy. I think sometimes we think Christians and, and what the church is about is, is finding something that might make someone happy and, and kill that joy. To, to submit. But that is not at all what we're about. We are to be a people of joy. We are to rejoice. We are to enjoy God. That, that is what we are made for. And, and a lot of what we're doing and what this book is about is to bring us to joy. And we find our source of joy in this passage about the resurrection. Um, you know, it's always interesting, Easter and Christmas, your, your topic's kind of picked for you. You know, there's not a lot of way you can stray on the big holidays. And so um, you, you come to the same text you've read years and years and, and think about it. And as I was looking at this, I was struck by the way this passage is actually surrounded, is kind of sandwiched between two other parts that are telling us about the guards, and I think we, we can kind of contrast the guards at the tomb with the women who come to the tomb. Uh, the end of chapter 27 at Jesus' burial, we're told that the, the, the religious leaders are afraid that the disciples are going to say that he was risen. So they put guards of you know, soldiers with full imperial authority at the tomb. I mean, the whole concept of guarding a dead man is pretty strange, but they're guarding. And then we hear this story of the women coming to the tomb and seeing the empty tomb and seeing the angel and then encountering Jesus. And then we hear that in verse 11, that while they were going, while the women were leaving, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they assembled with the elders, that's the religious leaders, and taking counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. In other words, the, the guards go and tell what happened. And they offer bribe money to tell a lie that the disciples stole the body and therefore they wouldn't believe that Jesus rose. What I find fascinating about this is the guards had as much evidence and as much proof that Jesus was risen as the women who worshipped him. I mean, in some sense, the guards knew better than anybody else that Jesus rose from the dead. And isn't that fascinating? They are looking at the same evidence, the, the guards who are there, who are witnessing the angels, who knew one came and took the body, who knew there was an earthquake and that Jesus had risen. They saw the same evidence, and it led to a completely different response. In other words, a lot of times... Us not following Christ and worshiping Christ isn't an intellectual doubt. It's a moral choice. Because you can take the same evidence and lead to different things. And, and this is one of the things Matthew points out is even as Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is about to ascend into heaven. This is fascinating. They're looking at Jesus. They're looking at Jesus, talking to them, and going to heaven and says, uh, even then, some doubted. 
Fascinating. So the guards, their response to this evidence is fear. They're terrified. They fall down as dead men, which would be a, a wise response. I mean, people don't rise from the dead. That's, that's why we're celebrating that. It's something that doesn't happen. It, 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 not normally anyway. It's amazing. And if somebody can do that, that should be terrifying. I mean, if, if that is the thing, it, you know, what good is your sword and spear? What good is the power of Rome? If, if someone can conquer death, it changes everything. And so they fall down and they're terrified as though dead. They go later. They tell what happens and they accept money. They want to please their superiors and they live a lie, knowing the truth. And I think there's a way when Matthew tells us they fall down like dead men, it kind of says to live this lie, to look at the evidence, to refute it, and to not believe in Jesus is a life that is like death. And they are afraid. And then the women come, and this is kind of fascinating, because it says they're also afraid, which is good. They're seeing the same thing, and it should spark fear in anyone who sees this. But they, they're looking, and they're saying, if Jesus is risen, he is who he says he is. He is God. He is divine. He has all this power. And that's, that's terrifying to encounter. I mean, there's a sense in which if you have not had some sense of fear of God, you have not encountered the real God. You know, if we have this made-up idea of God who just agrees with everything um, that we want to believe, that never tells us no, that never kind of leads us to reevaluate what we're doing and lead to change, that's not a real God. When we think about the true God who is all-powerful and begins to have an encounter with us where we say, I have to do something different. I have to, I have to turn away from doing things. I have to maybe change my views on some things to encounter that God. And to realize his power and what he might ask us to do and what he might lead us to do is terrifying. So for the women to fall in fear makes good sense. There's a scene in the children's story, Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe, where some of the characters are talking, um, they're, they're talking about the lion, Aslan, who is the Christ figure. And it's a wonderful quote. It's, it, they say, um, so is he safe then? Is, is this lion safe? And the character responds, haven't you been listening? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. God is not safe. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And yet, they go to him, and because of their fear, they grab his feet and they worship him. And yet at the same time, he says, do not be afraid. And they go, in verse 8, with fear but also great joy. It's amazing. They have this mixture of great fear and great joy. At the same time, they realize his power and authority. They also are overjoyed with what he has done. And, and the, the fact that everything he has promised will come true. It is incredible joy. And it's why they don't only worship him, but they find their joy in him. Matthew tells us why we enjoy the Lord. Here is him who has conquered death, 
who has authority and power over, over all things. He is the king of kings. Nothing can stop him. He has spoken and created the entire world. Everything is upheld by his power. And they grab hold of him and he says, hey, that, that's the greetings there. Hey wouldn't translate well in the English Standard Version, so they said greetings. But he says, hey, go tell my brothers I'm going to meet them. The one who has conquered sin and the grave and death, you find your joy because he invites you into a relationship where it's not just bowing and worshiping before a horrible and terrifying and frightening God, but one who looks at you and says, you're my brother, you're my sister, you are so close to me, you are my family. In other words, everything I have is now yours because we're family, we share. And you will inherit everything I have. You will inherit the resurrection. You will inherit the great joy that I have. That is the joy that's offered is the one who is overall is your brother. Joy is not situational. Joy is something that can't be taken. It can't be lost. True joy, true joy is what you're made for, and it's a relationship with one who nothing can destroy and nothing can take you away from him. And, and so I, we can witness those who know true joy and those who know Christ. Uh, we had a wonderful time Wednesday. It, it, was, it was a blast. And I was reflecting at how much joy was filling the place and I was thinking, you know, some, some of the people here have great things going on in their life, wonderful news of new jobs or, or different things. And, and there is, you know, there's joy there, but there's also others that I was looking around with as much joy and as much a smile who are facing some really dark things ahead and who encountered some really sad news and others with burdens from work or other things that if you were to share with others, they would be amazed that you could just be out that you're overwhelmed with dark things in your life. But the thing about joy is you can have all those things and it can't take your joy away because he has risen. Even death can't conquer it. And so I look at you smiling and having true joy in the face of evil. And it shows and bears witness to one who has risen and is in our midst. True joy spills over from where you are and it pours into lives of others. And I love to see this because when, when I'm trying to find joy in a thing or a, in an amusement or something like that, then I'm going to cling to it. I'm going to guard it and keep it. But true joy is so overflowing from your life, you begin to serve others and love others and welcome others. And, and that joy naturally just flows because that joy isn't something you're having to grab. It's something from that relationship with one who loves you and it flows into others. Joy, true joy is seen in the faces of those, even in the midst of tears, from the greatest sorrows someone can imagine, still praising God and singing how great thou art. My heart breaks from the number of stories I'm hearing of people living in despair. We're in a world of people when joy is offered, they're sadly seeking amusement and diversion and things to kill the pain in their hearts. 
I'm overwhelmed with sadness because we are living in the midst of people who are afraid. A people who see no hope for the future. Their hearts long for joy, and they're looking anywhere else to find that joy. And some of you might be doing that. Some of you might be trying to find joy in accomplishing something, or saying, if I just get to this place, or if I have this thing. We are living in a world of people who have no hope, And when the things that hit us and hit everybody and just hits life as it is, they live in fear and they live as dead men. And I pray that you might see the joy that is offered to you in Christ. It is frightening to come to Him because He will ask you to do things different than you've done before. He he will lead you into things that you might be afraid of. He is frightening to come to, but at the same time, He is the only source of true joy that can be never taken away from you. Grab hold of Him, embrace Him, recognize in Him the true joy that is given to you, who calls you His sister, who calls you His brother, and who conquers the darkest grave and gives life and light. It's an easy thing to do. You recognize the things you've chased after can't give the joy in life you've sought. And you trust Him to give them to you. You can do that even now. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank You for who You are, for what You have done for us in Jesus Christ. We thank You that we have nothing to fear who fear You. And we thank You that we fear one who is good and does all things for what is best for us. Lord, forgive us when we've sought joy in anything else, in anyone else, in ourselves. Help us to trust in you. Help us to stop thinking that we can satisfy the longing that is put into us by um, anything less than you. Forgive us for trying to make our own rules of how we will live and think that we can be happy that way. Forgive us for loving ourselves more than we love joy. Help us to trust in you. Help us to um, share that joy with others. Help it so transform our lives that we share light with those around us, that we share hope with those around us. Lord, we pray that you will be with us, your church. We pray that you will be with um, our, our community, with those who lead us. We pray that you will be with those who need your comfort and your peace, with those who are... Um, in darkness who can see no way out, with those who are um, grieving, with those who hurt, with those who need your healing. Lord, we pray especially for Tim, for Glenn, for Brad and Paige, for Larry, for Ray. Lord, we pray for um, the Anderson family, for the Bennett family. Lord, we pray for um, uh, Michael's family. We ask for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.